Chapter Seventh of *The Heart of Midlothian* by Sir Walter Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Arthur's seat shall be my bed. The sheets shall never be pressed by me. Saint Anton's well shall be my drink. Sin, my true love's forsaken me old song if i were to choose a spot from which the rising or setting sun could be seen to the greatest possible advantage it would be that wild path winding round the foot of the high belt of semicircular rocks called salisbury crags and marking the verge of the steep descent which slopes down into the glen on the southeastern side of the city of edinburgh the prospect in its general outline commands a close-built high-piled city stretching itself out beneath in a form which to a romantic imagination may be supposed to represent that of a dragon now a noble arm of the sea with its rocks isles distant shores and boundary of mountains and now a fair and fertile champagne country varied with hill dale and rock and skirted by the picturesque ridge of the pentland mountains but as the path gently circles around the base of the cliffs the prospect composed as it is of these enchanting and sublime objects changes at every step and presents them blended with or divided from each other in every possible variety which can gratify the eye and the imagination when a piece of scenery so beautiful yet so varied so exciting by its intricacy and yet so sublime is lighted up by the tints of morning or of evening and displays all that variety of shadowy depth exchanged with partial brilliancy which gives character even to the tamest of landscapes the effect approaches near to enchantment this path used to be my favourite evening and morning resort when engaged with a favourite author or new subject of study it is i am informed now become totally impassable a circumstance which if true reflects little credit on the taste of the good town or its leaders it was from this fascinating path the scene to me of so much delicious musing when life was young and promised to be happy that i have been unable to pass it over without an episodical description it was i say from this romantic path that butler saw the morning arise the day after the murder of porteus it was possible for him with ease to have found a much shorter road to the house to which he was directing his course and in fact 
that which he chose was extremely circuitous but to compose his own spirits as well as to while away the time until a proper hour for visiting the family without surprise or disturbance he was induced to extend his circuit by the foot of the rocks and to linger upon his way until the morning should be considerably advanced while now standing with his arms across and waiting the slow progress of the sun above the horizon now sitting upon one of the numerous fragments which storms had detached from the rocks above him he is meditating alternately upon the horrible catastrophe which he had witnessed and partly the melancholy and to him most interesting news which he had learned at saddletrees we shall give the reader to understand who butler was and how his fate was connected with that of effie deans the unfortunate handmaiden of the careful mrs saddletree reuben butler was of english extraction though born in scotland his grandfather was a trooper in monk's army and one of the party of dismounted dragoons which formed the forlorn hope at the storming of dundee in sixteen fifty one stephen butler called from his talents in reading and expounding scripture stephen and bible butler was a staunch independent and received in its fullest comprehension the promise that the saints should inherit the earth as hard knocks were what had chiefly fallen to his share hitherto in the division of this common property he lost not the opportunity which the storm and plunder of a commercial place afforded him to appropriate as large a share of the better things of this world as he could possibly compass it would seem that he had succeeded indifferently well for his exterior circumstances appeared in consequence of this event to have been much mended the troop to which he belonged was quartered at the village of dalkeith as forming the bodyguard of monk who in the capacity of general for the commonwealth resided in the neighbouring castle when on the eve of the restoration the general commenced his march from scotland a measure pregnant with such important consequences he new modelled his troops and more especially those immediately about his person in order that they might consist entirely of individuals devoted to himself on this occasion scripture stephen was weighed in the balance and found wanting it was supposed he felt no call to any expedition which might endanger the reign of the military sainthood and that he did not consider himself as free in conscience to join with any party which might be likely ultimately to acknowledge the interest of charles stuart the son of the last man as charles i was familiarly and irreverently termed by them in their common discourse as well as in their more elaborate 
predications and harangues as the time did not admit of cashiering such dissidents stephen butler was only advised in a friendly way to give up his horse and accoutrements to one of middleton's old troopers who possessed an accommodating conscience of a military stamp and which squared itself chiefly upon those of the colonel and paymaster as this hint came recommended by a certain sum of arrears presently payable stephen had carnal wisdom enough to embrace the proposal and with great indifference saw his old corps depart for coldstream on their route for the south to establish the tottering government of england on a new basis the zone of the ex-trooper to use horace's phrase was weighty enough to purchase a cottage and two or three fields still known by the name of beersheba within about a scottish mile of dalkeith and there did stephen establish himself with a youthful helpmate chosen out of the said village whose disposition to a comfortable settlement on this side of the grave reconciled her to the gruff manners serious temper and weather-beaten features of the martial enthusiast stephen did not long survive the falling on evil days and evil tongues of which milton in the same predicament so mournfully complains at his death his consort remained an early widow with a male child of three years old which in the sobriety wherewith it demeaned itself in the old-fashioned and even grim cast of its features and in its sententious mode of expressing itself would sufficiently have vindicated the honour of the widow of beersheba had any one thought proper to challenge the babe's descent from bible butler butler's principles had not descended to his family or extended themselves among his neighbours the heir of scotland was alien to the growth of independency however favourable to fanaticism under other colours but nevertheless they were not forgotten and a certain neighbouring laird who piqued himself upon the loyalty of his principles in the worst of times though i never heard they exposed him to more peril than that of a broken head or a night's lodging in the main guard when wine and cavalierism predominated in his upper story had found it a convenient thing to rake up all matter of accusation against the deceased stephen in this enumeration his religious principles made no small figure as indeed they must have seemed of the most exaggerated enormity to one whose own were so small and so faintly traced as to be well-nigh imperceptible in these circumstances 
poor widow butler was supplied with her full proportion of fines for nonconformity and all the other oppressions of the time until beersheba was fairly wrenched out of her hands and became the property of the laird who had so wantonly as it had hitherto appeared persecuted this poor forlorn woman when his purpose was fairly achieved he showed some remorse or moderation of whatever the reader may pleased to term it in permitting her to occupy her husband's cottage and cultivate on no very heavy terms a croft of land adjacent her son benjamin in the meanwhile grew up to mass estate and moved by that impulse which makes men seek marriage even when its end can only be the perpetuation of misery he wedded and brought a wife and eventually a son reuben to share the poverty of beersheba the laird of dumbydykes had hitherto been moderate in his exactions perhaps because he was ashamed to tax too highly the miserable means of support which remained to the widow butler but when a stout active young fellow appeared as the labourer of the croft in question dumby dykes began to think so broad a pair of shoulders might bear an additional burden he regulated indeed his management of his dependents who fortunately were but few in number much upon the principle of the carters whom he observed loading their carts at a neighbouring coal-hill and who never failed to clap an additional brace of hundredweights on their burden so soon as by any means they had compassed a new horse of somewhat superior strength to that which had broken down the day before however reasonable this practice appeared to the laird of dumby dykes he ought to have observed that it may be overdone and that it infers as a matter of course the destruction and loss of both horse and cart and loading even so it befell when the additional prestations came to be demanded of benjamin butler a man of few words and few ideas but attached to beersheba with a feeling like that which a vegetable entertains to the spot in which it chances to be planted he neither remonstrated with the laird nor endeavoured to escape from him but toiling night and day to accomplish the terms of his taskmaster fell into a burning fever and died his wife did not long survive him and as if it had been the fate of his family to be left orphans our reuben butler was about the year seventeen o four to five left in the same circumstances in which his father had been placed and under the same guardianship being that of his grandmother the widow of monk's old trooper the same prospect of misery hung over the head of another tenant of this hard-hearted lord of the soil this was a tough true blue presbyterian called deans who though most obnoxious to the laird 
on account of principles in church and state contrived to maintain his ground upon the estate by regular payment of mail duties cane arriage carriage dry mulcher lock gowpen and knaveship and all the various exactions now commuted for money and summed up in the emphatic word rent but the years seventeen hundred and seventeen o one long remembered in scotland for dearth and general distress subdued the stout heart of the agricultural whig citations by the ground officer decrees of the baron court sequestrations poindings of outside and inside plenishing flew about his ears as fast as the tory bullets whistled around those of the covenanters at pentland bothwell brig or Ersmoss. struggle as he might and he struggled gallantly douse david deans was routed horse and foot and lay at the mercy of his grasping landlord just at the time that benjamin butler died the fate of each family was anticipated but they who prophesied their expulsion to beggary and ruin were disappointed by an accidental circumstance on the very term-day when their ejection should have taken place when all their neighbours were prepared to pity and not one to assist them the minister of the parish as well as a doctor from edinburgh received a hasty summons to attend the laird of dumbydykes both were surprised for his contempt for both faculties had been pretty commonly his theme over an extra bottle that is to say at least once every day the leech for the soul and he for the body alighted in the court of the little old manor-house at almost the same time and when they had gazed a moment at each other with some surprise they in the same breath expressed their conviction that dumby dykes must needs be very ill indeed since he summoned them both to his presence at once ere the servant could usher them to his apartment the party was augmented by a man of law nitchell novit writing himself procurator before the sheriff court for in those days there were no solicitors this latter personage was first summoned to the apartment of the laird where after some short space the soul curer and the body curer were invited to join him dumby dykes had been by this time transported into the best bedroom used only upon occasions of death and marriage and called from the former of these occupations the dead room there were in this apartment besides the sick person himself and mr novit the son and heir of the patient a tall gawky silly-looking boy of fourteen or fifteen and a housekeeper a good buxom figure of a woman betwixt forty and fifty who had kept the keys and managed matters at dumby dykes since the lady's death it was to these attendants that dumby dykes addressed himself pretty nearly in the following words temporal and spiritual matters the care of his health 
and his affairs being strangely jumbled in a head which was never one of the clearest these are sair times with me gentlemen and neighbours a most as ill as at the oddy nine when i was rabbled by the collegianers they mistook me muckle they called me a papist but there was never a papist bit about me minister jock ye'll take warning it's a debt we maun all pay and there stands nichol novit that will tell ye i was never good at paying debts in my life mr novit ye'll no forget to draw the annual rent that's due on the yearl's band if i pay debt to other folk i think they should pay it to me that equals equals jock when ye have nothing else to do ye may be eyes sticking in a tree it will be growing jock when you're sleeping my father told me some forty years since but i never found time to mind him jock never drink brandy in the morning it files the stomach sore gin ye take a morning's draught let it be aqua mirabilis jenny there makes it well doctor my breath is growing as scant as a broken-winded piper's when he has played for four-and-twenty hours at a penny wedding jenny pit the cod aneath my head but it's all needless mass john could ye think of rattling over some bit short prayer it would do me good maybe and keep some queer thoughts out of my head say something man i cannot use a prayer like a rat-rhyme answered the honest clergyman and if you would have your soul redeemed like a prey from the fowler laird you must needs show me your state of mind and shouldna ye ken that without my telling you answered the patient what have i been paying stipend and tend parsonage and vicarage for ever since the oddy nine and i canna get a spell of a prayer for it the only time i ever asked for one in my life gang away with your wiggery if that's all ye can do auld curate kilstoop would have read half the prayer-book to me by this time away with ye doctor let's see if ye can do anything better for me the doctor who had obtained some information in the meanwhile from the housekeeper on the state of his complaints assured him the medical art could not prolong his life many hours then damn mass john and you both cried the furious and intractable patience did ye come here for nothing but to tell me that ye canna help me at the pinch out with em jenny out of the house and jock my curse and the curse of cromwell go with ye if ye give them either fee or bounteth or so muckle as a black pair of chevrons the clergyman and doctor made a speedy retreat out of the apartment while dumby dykes fell into one of those transports of violent and profane language which had procured him the surname of damn me dykes bring me the brandy bottle jenny ye bitch he cried with a voice in which passion contended with pain i can die as i have lived 
without fashing any of them but there's one thing he said sinking his voice there's one fearful thing hangs about my heart and an anchor of brandy when i wash it away the deanses at wood end i sequestrated them in the dear years and now they are to flit they'll starve and that beersheba and that old trooper's wife and her own they'll starve they'll starve look out jock what kind of night is it on ding a sna father answered jock after having opened the window and looked out with great composure they'll perish in the drifts said the expiring sinner they'll perish with cold but i'll be het enough gin a tales be true this last observation was made under breath and in a tone which made the very attorney shudder he tried his hand at ghostly advice probably for the first time in his life and recommended as an opiate for the agonized conscience of the laird reparation of the injuries he had done to these distressed families which he observed by the way the civil law called restitutio in integrum but mammon was struggling with remorse for retaining his place in a bosom he had so long possessed and he partly succeeded as an old tyrant proves often too strong for his insurgent rebels i canna do it he answered with a voice of despair it would kill me to do it how can ye bid me pay back siller when ye can how i want it or dispone beersheba when it lies so well into my own plaid nook nature made dumby dykes and beersheba to be one man's land she did by nichol it would kill me to part them but ye maun die whether or no laird said mr novit and maybe ye would die easier it's but trying i'll scroll the disposition in no time dinna speak of it sir replied dumby dykes or i'll fling the stroop at your head but jock lad ye see how the world rustles with me on my deathbed be kind to the poor creatures the deanses and the butlers be kind to them jock dinna let the world get a grip of ye jock but keep the gear together and whatever ye do dispone beersheba at no rate let the creatures stay at a moderate mailing and have bite and soup it will may be the better with your father where he's goin lad after these contradictory instructions the lord felt his mind so much at ease that he drank three bumpers of brandy continuously and soft away as jenny expressed it in an attempt to sing devil stick the minister his death made a revolution in favour of the distressed families john dumby now of dumby dykes in his own right seemed to be close and selfish enough but wanted the grasping spirit and active mind of his father and his guardian happened to agree with him in opinion that his father's dying recommendation should be attended to the tenants therefore were not actually turned out of doors among the snow-wreaths and were allowed wherewith 
to procure buttermilk and peas bannocks which they ate under the full force of the original malediction the cottage of deans called wood end was not very distant from that at beersheba formerly there had been but little intercourse between the families deans was a sturdy scotsman with all sort of prejudices against the southern and the spawn of the southern moreover deans was as we have said a staunch presbyterian of the most rigid and unbending adherence to what he conceived to be the only possible straight line as he was wont to express himself between right-hand heats and extremes and left-hand defections and therefore he held in high dread and horror all independence and whomsoever he supposed allied to them but notwithstanding these national prejudices and religious professions deans and the widow butler were placed in such a situation as naturally and at length created some intimacy between the families they had shared a common danger and a mutual deliverance they needed each other's assistance like a company who crossing a mountain stream are compelled to cling close together lest the current should be too powerful for any who are not thus supported on nearer acquaintance too deans abated some of his prejudices he found old mrs butler though not thoroughly grounded in the extent and bearing of the real testimony against the defections of the times had no opinions in favour of the independent party neither was she an englishwoman therefore it was to be hoped that though she was the widow of an enthusiastic corporal of cromwell's dragoons her grandson might be neither schismatic nor anti-national two qualities concerning which goodman deans had as wholesome a terror as against papists and malignants above all for douce davy deans had his weak side he perceived that widow butler looked up to him with reverence listened to his advice and compounded for an occasional fling at the doctrines of her deceased husbands to which as we have seen she was by no means warmly attached in consideration of the valuable counsels which the presbyterian afforded her for the management of her little farm these usually concluded with they may do otherwise in england neighbour butler for aught i can or it may be different in foreign parts or they what think differently on the great foundation of our covenanted reformation overturning and misjuggling the government and discipline of the kirk and breaking down the carved work of our zion might be for sighing the craft with aits but i say peace peace and as his advice was shrewd and sensible though conceitedly given it was received with gratitude and followed with respect the intercourse which took place betwixt the families at beersheba and wood end became strict and intimate at a very early period 
betwixt reuben butler with whom the reader is already in some degree acquainted and jeanie deans the only child of douse davy deans by his first wife that singular christian woman as he was wont to express himself whose name was savoury to all that knew her for a desirable professor christian menzies in hawk mcgirdle the manner of which intimacy and the consequences thereof we now proceed to relate End of chapter seventh